And we are live, Business and Buckets fans, episode 47. We almost to 50. We almost there. Well, we got a stacked show today. Obviously, it's at the heart of football season, NFL, college football. We'll be talking a little bit further about UFC 266, what's in store for this fight night this weekend, plus MLB action as playoffs are at the doorstep. But before we talk sports, we're talking Fueled Supplements, the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets. I don't know about you guys, but being sore after workouts is something I don't look forward to, especially when I'm getting back into my routine. That's why I'm thankful for my family over at Fueled Supplements for supplying me with all the essential products to combat muscle soreness, increasing recovery time so I can get back into the gym faster feeling great. I absolutely love their essential amino acid BCA hydration formula called Comeback. Plant-based fermented essential amino acids and BCAs paired with your complete hydration complex, including coconut water and peak Himalayan sea salt for minerals and electrolyte balance. I tell you guys what, I'm a believer. Their new flavors are out of this world delicious. My favorite flavor is the sour gummies. So don't just take my word for it. Try it for yourself and save some money while you're in the process. Go to fueledsupplements.com and use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off everything on the website except whey protein. That's B-U-C-K-E-T-S. So per usual, we're going to start in the NFL as there are some things happening around uh, with headlines. Last week, some of the themes that we talked about was uh, more more penalties than, than normal this early in the season, plus all the injuries. And, you know, <laughs> when you're such a, a human... Human nature, we're used to routine, especially when you're a professional athlete because you're in routines pretty much your whole life with sport school, sport job, sport family. And with COVID, not having a normal offseason, not having training camp last year, no preseason, this year a short preseason, I think has a lot to do with the injuries. And it just doesn't have guys in their rhythm. Uh, hopefully, you know, going into next year, we can avoid that. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about some of the headlines, starting with Mr. Flash Gordon reinstated by the NFL and ends up signing with the Chiefs of all teams, which you could look at this on paper and be like, wow, you add him to their team, a big-bodied, quick receiver, like it's game over. But he's, I believe he's 32. Let me confirm this. Josh Gordon, 30 years old. He's 30 years old. I just don't expect him to be a playmaker for the Chiefs this year. I think as the season goes by, you know, he'll be a potential target. If you remember his last season with the Seahawks, big body guy, good third down guy, throw him in a slant, um, get him prepared for some contact. I just don't think this is going to be anything too over the top. Uh, the Panthers trade for CJ Henderson as JC Horn is out for the year. Most likely um, that's great. Uh, you know, they did give up some capital, obviously, for him. But having him, J.C. Horn, this defense is young. They're nasty. Now they have a quarterback. Uh, you know, they're going to have a pretty promising year ahead of them. But uh, going into next year and the year after, especially on the defensive side of the ball, very, very impressive. The NFL is adding Monday night game to the wild card weekend, the super wild card weekend. Uh, for the first wild card, I'm not too opposed to it. Peter King made a good point that without the wild card, you have teams playing short notice that have to turn around and play into wild card weekend. Now they have some extra time after that week getting into that Monday night. Um, obviously, then a short week the next week. But at the end of the day, I'm not too opposed to it. Uh, it's just the one weekend. 
Blake Martinez tears the, his ACL. He's out for the Giants, most likely for the year. One of the, their leader, leading tackler, good offseason additions. Another tough loss for the Giants, who's already a depleted unit. Speaking of depleted units, the Broncos receiving core, they lose K.J. Hamler to an ACL. Uh, without Jerry Judy, without Hamler, they do have depth, though. Uh, so, you know, if you're a Broncos fan, uh, blessing up there. You guys have a deep receiving core. You still have no offense that you're. I, I feel like could be used better. James White um, goes to the IAR, expected to be out for the season. You know, more so of a Tom Brady foundation favorite, but it seemed like was part of the the playbook with Belichick, with Mac Jones, and it's definitely a tough tough loss for them. Marlon Mack and the Colts both agree that they want to trade him as they have uh, a pretty stacked running back room. He's fully re- recovered from his injury, uh, but seems to be third string behind Naheem Hines, who just got the contract, and also Jonathan Taylor, who is the every down back. The Lions surprisingly cut Jamie Collins after they tried to trade him. I, you know, obviously that he's a cap hit. I think a lot of this has to do with the the coach and the new front office molding the team the way they'd want and get younger. Uh, but I'm sure he will sign to somebody that needs it. Uh, heck, maybe the Giants with uh, Blake Martinez out. Quentin Dunbar joining the Cardinals. They're in need for secondary help, so he'll be over. Jumping ship to the Cardinals. Um I believe he's in his 30s. He might be 32. Um, so he's definitely on the wrong... Oh, he's 29 years old, almost a 30. Uh, he's played in a few different teams, but still, we'll see if he still has play potential and get on the field for the Cardinals. Isaac Sumalo out for the year with the Liz Frank surgery. Uh, they're now without three starters on their offensive linemen. So for the Eagles, uh, definitely bad news is the injuries keep on coming. Richard Sherman is coming back to the NFL and he's signing with the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers as they lose another corner last week. Not too surprising. It was rumored that he was going to visit them. Uh, good to see him back. We'll see how he can perform as the Bucks definitely need some help in the secondary. Uh, speaking of older vets coming back, Gerald McCoy, who came back, signed with the Raiders, test positive for PEDs as he's already out with an injury. So when he comes back, that's a six-game suspension. I highly doubt he plays this year. And at this point, I highly doubt he plays again in his NFL career. And how old is he? He's got to be in his 30s, right? 33, yeah. Definitely on the wrong side of 30. Love me some Gerald McCoy. Uh, Just, yeah, that that's tough. I just don't see him coming back from that. Uh, the Bears leaving Soldier Field most likely with a uh, new purchase in Arlington Heights as the Bears look to uh, adjust their stadium as Soldier Field is quite old. I wonder if I could find out what year their first game was. 1924. So, yeah, that's been there for quite a while. Uh, it can make sense they're looking for, for a new setup. Um, I watched a football life as a Steelers fan with James Harrison had to give some time on that. Um, you know, Debo, the mean mugging son of a gun, the undrafted Steeler, the guy who got cut by the t- the team three times and only got a starting opportunity because Joey Porter got kicked off the field before, a uh, before the game against the Bengals one year because of the, you know, beef on the sidelines and some actions that were done. Insert James Harrison, Joey Porter comes dispensable, uh, ends up coming back as a coach. James Harrison becomes a Super Bowl, you know, icon with the 90 yard, however far, uh, 
pick six that he had all the way back against Arizona and just lots of good memories. I have a uh, James Harrison jersey. He resents, you know, exemplifies a, a premier edge rusher and just uh, the Debo figure that he was nicknamed for. So great NFL uh, football life. If you guys like watching those, highly recommend. Uh, it was fun. I also watched this uh, Disney Plus uh, movie called Safety about a Clemson player who was dealing with uh, his mother, uh, you know, being in rehab for drugs, raising his brother, having to deal with football, you know, getting an apartment, managing his brother and all this and going up against the NCAA. Uh, now players can get paid. So it's just a whole nother world. Uh, really cool documentary. I can't believe I never heard of the story before. It's not a documentary. Uh, inspired movie. So check it out on Disney Plus. It's it's a good watch, hour and a half or so. And how about just the the setup of the new SoFi Stadium? Obviously, Allegiant in Vegas. It's just really cool to see these new stadiums are, you know, a lot like Soldier Field 1924. It's just a big bowl of seats. It's iconic. It's historic. It's really cool. But these new stadiums are shows, man. You're getting these augmented reality animals now. Pretty soon there'll be concerts. There's clubs in the end zone. Uh, it's definitely an attraction for myself, and it just seems like it's just a big attraction through and through. Definitely have to catch myself in those stadiums. Uh, but just thought I'd bring that up because the shit's crazy. You see the superstars, the celebs, obviously the first year, but definitely a sight to be seen for sure. But let's talk uh, week three games, preview this upcoming week, and I will talk about my contenders and pretenders. We'll start with last week's action. Thursday night game, not quite as good as the Giants, the football Giants, and the Washington football team the week before. As the Panthers handle business against the Texans, I bet first score touchdown. Sam Darnold, so thank you, Money in the Bank. Uh, but it was a good game. Um, I mean, as good as a game as the Panthers and Texans could have on a Thursday. The Texans played tough for a while. Really, the story was, can Sam Darnold continue his trend? He goes 23 for 34, uh, 304 yards, and a 95.7 rating. So looking good in this game, although no touchdowns besides his rushing touchdown. I uh, actually had two rushing touchdowns. Davis Mills, 19 for 28, 168 yards and a touchdown. On the other side, how is this new uh, rookie from Stanford going to perform with Tyrod Taylor out? He gets a 95.5 rating against a pretty, you know, scrummy Carolina defense. So decent performance. Uh, absolutely no running game for the Texans as they have 42 yards led by Mark Ingram, six carries for 21 yards. And then Christian McCaffrey goes out with the hamstring insert Chuba Hubbard. He gets 11 carries for 52 yards, a 4.7 average. And then the, the main man, DJ Moore, the main man, Brandon cooks, both receivers. DJ gets eight for 126. Brandon cooks gets nine for 112. Both guys show out uh, and put on a show as um, Houston's on the field for a majority of the game. Zach Cunningham gets 14 tackles, Christian Kirksey with 10. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, pretty clean game. I expected that there would be some turnovers. There wasn't. Carolina outpossessed the Texans by 11 minutes. Not too much to see here. The Texans look like a little bit tougher competition than I expected at the beginning of the year, uh, but still nothing too crazy. But they're battling. It's the NFL. No one gets blown out every any given Sunday. So Sunday morning, we do have Washington football team again versus the Bills, which the Bills were, I mean, majority of what I saw at least, Super Bowl favorites for most. 
And uh, obviously, the Pittsburgh Steelers beating them at home week one raised questions. So, hey, can Josh Allen get back on track? Well, he goes uh, 32 for 43, back to his high passing numbers, 358 yards, four touchies against a supposed really solid D. You know, he came in, did so well. Mitch Trubisky did have a pass attempt for a yard. Uh, But Josh Allen finishes with 129.8 rating. On the opposite side, Taylor Heineke still doing his thing. 14 for 24, 212 yards, two touches, did have two picks in the game. And the run game, obviously with the script, you're you're down 43-21 at the end. They were down most of the game. They ran for 78 yards. Antonio Gibson did get 12 carries, only 31 yards, which is a 2.6 average. So uh, tough sledding there even when they did get the ball. Uh, Zach Moss continues to... Technically outshine uh, Devin Singletary at 13 carries versus Devin's 11, 60 yards versus Devin's 226. Devin averaged a 2.4 per carry, while Zach Moss 4.6. So potentially, now that he's out of the doghouse, he'll get more running way as the Bills definitely need to figure out the run game. You can't be throwing the ball 40-plus times every game. Uh, Cole Beasley leads Buffalo in those uh, 358 yards. He has 11 catches for 98 yards. Emmanuel Sanders sneaking in there. Five catches for a nice 94 yards and two touches. And Stephon Diggs not putting up the gaudy numbers like last year. Six catches for 62 yards. Antonio Gibson did lead Washington receiving with a pass out of the backfield. He goes 73 yards for a touchdown on that on that one reception. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, obviously Washington had the uh, uh, the defense on the field for a while. Cole Holcomb with 15 tackles, Kendall Fuller with 10, and then um, Buffalo outpossessed Washington football team by 11 minutes. Uh, Buffalo goes 9 of 15 for th- on third down, while Washington a nasty 2 for 11. You got to be able to convert to keep those drives going. So let's move over to Bears, to Browns. Uh, Justin Fields show everyone wants to see how the rookie quarterback will do. Is he going to last? Is he going to put up performances uh, unlike what Trevor Lawrence has been able to do and Zach Wilson thus far? Well, not necessarily, but they are competitive. They do play decent games. Um, the Browns hold the Bears, um, not the Browns, excuse me. The Bears hold the Browns to under 30 points is 26 to 6. Um, but the offensive script for the Bears, I mean, there's been lots of, you know, Negative feedback to Nagy in a script as Justin Fields goes 6 of 20 for 68 yards. And David Montgomery gets 10 carries for 34 yards. So offensively, there was absolutely nothing to be had. You would think it would all be about turnovers if that's the case. But there was only uh, there was no turnovers in this game. Uh, Baker Mayfield, decent game against a stingy defense. 19 for 31, 246 and a touchdown. But with Jarvis Landry on the IR... OBJ is finally back. Browns could take a sigh of a relief. Uh, Browns fans, as he gets five catches for 77 yards to lead the team. Nick Chubb with a whopping 22 carries for 84 yards. No scores. Cream Hunt vultures a score, gets 10 carries for 81 yards and a touch. Also six uh, receptions for 74 yards. So as they're hurting for receivers, Cream Hunt gets some action um, as a receiver out of the backfield. Raquan Smith for the Bears does get 10 tackles. Uh, Mario Edwards Jr. with a sack and a half. Meanwhile, the Brown uh, Bears Browns sounds the same. The Browns defensive line just straight up eats in this game. 
Uh, Miles Garrett with four and a half sacks. Jadavion Clowney with two sacks. And yeah, Justin Fields, welcome to the NFL, my man. Tough loss, 26 to 6. I do expect him to rebound. I don't think he was set up for success. Is it fully Nagy's fault? Probably not. But if you were to give it blame, you got to give him blame. I'd be surprised if he makes it through the season. And as he has said, as long as Dalton's healthy, which I believe he had a limited practice today, he is the starter for the um for the Bears. So we'll we'll definitely track this story as the season progresses. But uh yeah, uh it's gonna be interesting to see where Nagy's job lies before the end of the year. Uh, then we have Ravens-Lions. The Lions somehow find a way to lose this game. Uh, team st- statistics, the, the Ravens were 1 of 10 from third on third down. You know, the Lions only 3 of 10. But total yards, the Lions um, were out yarded 285 to 387. And they ended up having a clean game with no turnovers while the Ravens turned the ball over once. Uh, Passing-wise, Lamar, pretty Lamar-ish line. 16 for 31, uh, 287 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. But he led the team with running seven carries, 58 yards. Mark Andrews shows up finally offensively for the Ravens. He gets five catches for 109 yards. Sammy Watkins still doing his thing, four for 68. Uh, But for the Lions offense, Jared Goff, pretty clean game. Pretty Goff-like numbers, 22 for 30, 217 yards. DeAndre Swift leads the back filled with 14 carries for 47 and a touchdown. Um, but their receiving core was led by Khalif Raymond, six catches for 68 yards. Who the hell is Khalif Raymond? Well, he is a receiver from Holy Cross in his fifth season. So he's been around the block. He's played. I don't know why it won't pull me up with the Titans and the Giants as well. He gets his moment to shine a little bit. Um, TJ Hawkinson, I don't, I don't get it. Two catches for 10 yards. Um, you know, Jamal Williams and Deandre Swift combined for 26 carries. So that is a pretty good script against a good, tough defense. My call last week was for the lions to run the ball more. Um, but yeah, I mean all the way down to the end, the historic moment here, Justin Tucker, a 66 yard field goal. They say, fuck it. Why not? Justin Tucker's leg should be in the hall of fame. It goes, hits the crossbar, bounces up, and I think the game's over. As a Steelers fan, we lose to the Bengals. This would be a great loss for the AFC North, and it falls through somehow. Crazy celebration, and Lions just keep finding ways to lose the game as they led that the whole way. So let's talk about a nice divisional game. We have Colts versus the Titans. I had picked the Titans here. Um... You know, Carson Wentz was a question all all game all week long with his double sprained ankles, not one sprained ankle, two of them bad boys. So you'd think he'd not be that mobile. He did uh, have 37 attempts. He goes 19 for 37, 194 yards, no no interceptions, which to me is a little bit of a surprise. Uh, on the opposite end, Tannehill, pretty similar line, uh, 18 for 27, uh, 197, three touchdowns, does have two picks. Uh, they still find a way to win the game. Statistically, you'd probably be a little shocked. Um, total yards, the Titans did have 100 total more yards, but they did turn the ball over three more times than the Colts. They did outpossess the Colts by nine nine minutes. Both pretty poor third down uh, conversion percentage. Uh, the Colts go three of 12, while the Titans go six of 12. 
on the the running game, you'd imagine for the Titans to win a game, Derrick Henry has to be moving. Well, he gets 28 carries for 113 yards. That's a four uh, yard per rush average. And then on the opposite side, Jonathan Taylor only gets 10, does pick up 64 yards. Uh, Pittman shows he wasn't a one game wonder with Carson Wentz. He gets six catches for 68 yards to lead the Colts on the receiving side. Meanwhile, Nick Westbrook, Akeen, uh, for Tennessee is the leading receiver. This is a second season out of Indiana. Uh, so potentially a name to, to keep your eye on Julian Blackman for the Colts with 11 tackles while, uh, Ola Adini had a sack and a half ex Steeler. Uh, he didn't quite make the team with the outside, uh, edge rushing depth. Well, now they're out with, without TJ, they're without Highsmith right now. Uh, so potentially could have used him. I think Jameer Jones, who they just cut, beat him out, but he gets in a, a sack and a half for them. And then the fun AFC West battle. You have Chiefs. You have um, Chargers. You have Justin Herbert versus Pat Mahomes. The shit that everybody wants to see. And the Chargers find a way to win. You know, I picked the the Chiefs. I still feel, even though the Chiefs are 1-2, and two, they're my Super Bowl favorite. I mean, how often can you as a team turn the ball over four times, still put up 437 yards, and outpossess the team that you lose to? They could they can score in a blink of an eye, right? They could have a couple turnovers. Uh, Clyde's Edwards Hilaire can turn the ball over, fumble it again, and Pat Mahomes can score in a matter of seconds. Just not enough in this game. Justin Herbert goes 26 for 38, 281 yards and four touchdowns as they steal this game in Arrowhead in front of their home crowd. Pat Mahomes 27 for 44, 260, three touchdowns and two picks. And on the on the ground game. I expected Eckler, who the Chiefs have the worst rushing defense to this point, to, to be able to eat. He only gets 11 carries, does get a respectable 55 yards. Meanwhile, uh, CEH comes out of nowhere. I know this because he's on my fantasy team. And even though he fumbles, Andy Reid sticks with him. 17 carries, 100 yards, average of 5.9, gets over that 100-yard mark. And then uh, the receiving core, it seems like Mike Williams is Justin Herbert's favorite new toy. He continues to go on a tear. Seven receptions, 122 yards, and two touchdowns. That's probably my best fantasy uh, draft pick. I had been running back heavy, was desperate for receivers. I thought Mike Williams is the best option and probably got him as a steal in his ADP, to be honest. Austin Eckler does get 52 reception yards as well to go over 100 on the day. He gets a touch. Keenan Allen, eight catches, 50 yards, and a touch. Meanwhile, Travis Kellis continues to lead uh, the Chiefs and teams continue to try to shut down Tyreek Hill on the over-the-top throw. Um, Kels leads the Chiefs seven catches, 104 yards. On the defensive side of the ball, the, the um, Chiefs did fumble the ball twice. Not a lot of pressure from the Chargers or the Chiefs. And then um, there was two picks for the Chiefs as Oloi Gilman and Asante Samuel Jr., uh, the rookie gets his first pick in the NFL action. I'm sure we'll hear more of his name before his career is over. And then supposedly after the game, Andy Reid to the hospital, some health concerns. Uh, probably just a lot of high stress, a lot of high pressure. Um, you know, he's a little older now, but supposedly he's okay. Uh, I don't haven't seen if he's confirmed to be coaching this week. I'm sure if Andy Reid has anything to say about it, he will. Uh, but he is 63 years old. That's a very high stress job. Health issues aren't anything out of the ordinary. But the Chiefs are one and two. 
You know, there's a lot of a lot of pressure from the Chiefs, but I ain't scared. They're still my Super Bowl squad. They go to Philly this coming week, which we'll talk about in a minute. At home versus Buffalo, at Washington, at Tennessee. It's not an easy slate of games. Um, they stumble a couple more times there. It's going to be interesting. You might want to think about another team winning the division, but pump the brakes, pump the brakes. It's just entering week four. I'm not ready to make that determination. The Saints beat the Patriots on the road. Uh, Jameis Winston continues to do his thing. 13 for 21, 128 yards and two touchdowns for 110 rating. And Kamara finally gets some carries, gets some yardage after a pitiful performance last week. He gets 24 carries for 89 yards, 3.7 average. Uh, Mac Jones, 30 for 51. They threw the ball 51 times. Uh, for 270 yards, a touchdown, and three picks as these rookie quarterbacks continue to struggle. Uh, he does somehow end up leading the team in rushing with six carries for 28 yards, while Damian Harris gets six as well, but only has 14 yards. On the receiving side of the thing, uh, side of the ball, Marquez Callaway leads the Saints for four catches, 41 yards, and a touchdown. The touchdown was just a crazy lob that Jameis threw up. Uh, he was about to get sacked, fall on his feet, threw it up. Callaway find a way to catch it, found a way to catch it. And then Kendrick Bourne leading the receiving core for the Pats. He gets six catches, 96 yards, and a touch. Jacoby Myers right there behind him, nine for 94. No scores. Marshawn Lattimore, who had been struggling with injury, comes back. It's a whopping 10 tackles um, on the uh, defensive line. Matt Judon, the expatriate, comes over, gets two and a half sacks. And the Saints find a way to win. That was not a game that I expected. I had picked the Panthers, got that right. Picked the Bills, got that right. Picked the Browns, that was right. Picked the Ravens, that was right. Picked the Titans, that was right. Picked the Chiefs, that was wrong. Picked the Patriots, that was wrong. Another two games I was wrong with. Had the Giants over the Falcons, but the Falcons find a way to squeeze out their first win on the season. Uh, Matt Ryan was 27 for 36, 243 yards and two touchdowns as injuries are everywhere for the Giants and they continue to struggle and are still winless on the season. Uh, Daniel Jones, 24 for 35, 266 yards. Pretty respectable, given all the circumstances. But people want to know about Saquon. Well, he's back. They give him 16 carries. He gets a meaning, meaningless 51 yards on a 3.2 per rush car, uh, average. Does get a touchdown against a not very good defense on the Atlanta side of the ball. Um... Corderell Patterson continues to be a Swiss Army knife. He gets seven carries for 20 yards, which was less than Mike Davis's 12 carries for 50 yards, but he leads the team in receiving. This guy gets six receptions, 82 yards, and Kyle or Calvin Ridley is right behind him, eight catches for 61. And finally, Kenny Galladay gets in the picture a little bit, four catches for 64 yards, nothing too crazy. And Saquon Barkley gets 43 as, uh, receiving yards as well. On the defensive side of the ball, Tay Crowder for the Giants gets 11 tackles, while Foisade Olukan gets 14 tackles for the Falcons, and the veteran Deion Jones gets 12, 12 tackles himself. Um, statistically, the Giants did go 7-14 on third down. They did out yard it, uh, get fit about 50 yards more than the Falcons, 346 to 296. They both turned the ball over and out possessed the Falcons by three minutes. 
but they found a way to lose. The football giants lose again. They stay 0-3 in a dumpster fire, the NFC West, or NFC East. And then the other game I got wrong, the Bengals defeat the Steelers. I thought this was big brother, little brother. I brought my juju over Vontez Burfick shirt last week. And this was definitely literal brother stomping the shit out of big brother. Pittsburgh's offense is a fucking disaster. They end up with 342 total yards, uh, 9 of 19 on third down, which is a lot better than I would have expected. And they outpossess the Bengals by 11 minutes. But they do turn the ball over two times to um, the Bengals one. And really just find a way to get any offense going besides beside short dumps to Najee Harris as he gets an insane 19 targets. Did have some drops, which is not acceptable, but 14 uh, receiving uh, 14 catches for 102 yards and a measly 14 carries for 40 on the ground for a 2.9 average to lead the Steelers in receiving. Uh, Chase Claypool does have nine for 96. If anything, I'm noticing the Steelers are, are doing 50-50 balls to him on the outside. He either catches it or it turns into a, a PI, which gives them good yardage. Joe Burrow has a pretty decent game, 14 of 18, 172 yards, three tutties and a sack. Joe Mixon continues to roll, 18 carries for 90 yards. And Jamar Chase leads the Bengals in receiving four catches for 65 yards and two touchdowns. On the defense, the Steelers lose their streak for consecutive games with the sack, I believe at 65. They do not find a way to pressure um, uh, Joe Burrow without TJ Watt without Alex Highsmith, without a lot of people on the defensive side of the ball, Stephon Tewitt as well, who's hopefully off the IR soon. Uh, but Logan Wilson, I hate that it was against the Steelers. I gave him props last week. This guy says it's not enough. He goes out there and gets two picks. One, Ben, what the fuck were you doing? He rolled out. He was right there. It's like he didn't see him, threw it right to him. Uh, and 14 tackles, six of them being solo. Logan Wilson, baby, watch out. He, well, he, he's deserving to be in the NFL. I believe he was a third-round pick. Um, Cardinals, pretty ugly to start, but find a way to blow out Jacksonville 31-19. Kyler continues his MVP-like season, 28 for 34, 316 yards. No touchdowns in the air but and does have a pick. James Conner leads all running backs for Arizona. Him and Chase both have 11 carries. Um, Connor gets 43 yards while Chase has 26 yards. Connor has two touchdowns, and obviously Kyler Murray, even though he doesn't throw for one, gets one on the ground. The surprising name to lead the receiving core, though, as Hopkins dealing with injuries, A.J. Green, the old man himself. How old is this man? He is 33 years old. He goes over 100. He gets 112 yards. And Christian Kirk, seven catches, 104 yards, as he's over 100 as well. For the terrible Jacksonville Jaguars offense, uh, Sunshine, Trevor Lawrence, 22 for 34, 219 yards, a touchdown and two picks, one of them being a flea flicker shit show of a play call. You know, Urban Meyer and team, I have no idea what their thoughts were there. Um, at the start of the game, when they do have the lead, when they did have the lead, they gave James Robinson the ball. Finally, it's a surprise. He gets 18 carries, 88 yards, and a touchdown, which is a 5.9 per rush average. And Marvin Jones leads their receiving core, six, or six catches, 62 yards. W meanwhile, Jordan Hicks, the quick linebackers all over the field, he gets 12 tackles. 
Miles Jack gets 10 himself. Um, but yeah, Jacksonville turns the ball over four times, two picks, two fumbles. They go two for 11 on third, even though Arizona goes one of nine. And they get out yarded by 40 yards. They are 0-3. The Cardinals, 3-0, undefeated. Um, kind of a snoozer of a game here. We have the Broncos 26 to zero over the Jets. I mean, Zach Wilson, man, I knew he was going to be in for a rookie season if they were going to automatically start him, which that's the Jets 19 of 35, 160 yards and two picks, uh, for a rating of 42. He's sacked five times. There's obviously no running game. They only get 43 yards. Um, Corey Davis leads the team in receptions. Five for 41 yards. Um, yeah, I mean, that offense is a fucking shit show. Their linemen are hurt. They're, you know, it's just, it's a mess. It's not set up to have a quarterback go in there and be successful. Look at Sam Darnold. Well, Teddy Bridgewater, he's, he's, he's moving the ball. He goes 19 of 25. Good percentage there. 235 yards. And Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams continue to get double-digit carries. Gordon had 18 for 60 yards in a touch, while Javante has 12 for 29 in a touch. And Tim Patrick leads the team in, re- in receiving yards. Five catches, 98 yards. On the defensive side of the ball, obviously there was pressure. Alexander Johnson with two sacks. Uh, Malik Reed, Vaughn Miller, Shelby Harris with a sack as well. And then C.J. Mosley, 10 tackles to lead uh, the Jets. They're 0-3, though. I mean, let's look. Can they win a game? That's how bad this is going to be. Um, home against the Titans, no. Home against the Falcons, potential. Bye week at the Pats, no. Home against the Bengals, potential two wins. Uh, at the Colts, Buffalo, Miami, Houston, Eagles, Saints, Miami, Jacksonville, Tampa, Buffalo. So four four teams. We'll see what can happen. Uh, I know for my eliminator, it's it's hard not to just pick the team playing the Jets every week, but that gets you caught because everyone does it. They ended up end up winning and you're out of the eliminator. So, moving on, the Raiders keep winning. They stay undefeated. Close one, close one, uh, especially as they throw a pick six to start the game. And I believe the Vikings were up seven or the Vikings, the Dolphins were up seventeen to zero, but they win thirty one to twenty eight. Jacoby Brissett just. Getting forced into way too many throws, man. 32 for 49. He's throwing the ball 49 times. That is not a script to win if I'm the Dolphins. Uh, 215 yards. Miles Gaskin, 13 carries, 65 yards. I, I, I'm not. I'm surprised they're not running the ball more. Uh, but Mike Gusecki getting in there. Uh, he's on my fantasy team on the bench. He gets 10 uh, receptions, 86 yards to lead the receiving core. And Derek Carr keeps just throwing for fucking numbers, man. 26 of 43, 386 yards, two touchdowns, does have an interception. And Peyton Barber somehow, you know, no Josh Jacobs. Oh, insert Kenyon Drake, our highly paid backup running back. I mean, what the hell did they end up paying this guy? It's early, so maybe they're saving Drake's legs. This is their idea. You know what? Let's give this guy a shit ton of money to to be our backup running back. And uh, let's save his legs until later. Like, I just don't get it. Two-year deal, $14.5 million, $11 million guaranteed. I don't know if he just lost the job or what, but Peyton Barber gets 23 carries to Drake's eight, goes for 111, 4.8 average and a touchdown. 
fantasy people who had had Drake for the uh, handcuff are probably not very thrilled. On the receiving end, Edwards leads the way three catches but has 89 yards. And on the defensive side of the ball, man, Denzel Perryman's everywhere this year. 14 tackles. Cordy Littleton has uh, 10 tackles. And for Miami, Brandon Jones does have two sacks, but clearly it's not enough. I mean, the Raiders go for 497 total yards. The Dolphins, 330. Uh, the Raiders, 8 of 15 on third down, while the Dolphins, 6 of 18. And then the Raiders had the one turnover, which almost cost them, but they get away with it. And the game of the week, we have a potential NFC ch championship match. This was my NFL divisional, the way I had predicted the season. And I'd pick the Rams to win. Why? Well, their edge rush, their improved run game at the time, with Darrell Henderson out this game, he wasn't really a part of that equation. And the new quarterback, right? The new quarterback, that's their big shiny toy. And they delivered. Uh, they're up pretty much the whole game. They went 34-24. to 24. Stafford goes 27 for 38, 343 yards, four touchdowns for 134 rating, while TB12 throws the ball 55 times. He goes 41 of 55, playing from behind most of the game. Goes over 400, 432 and a touch for 103 rating. On the ground, there wasn't much to be had. Tom Brady led their backfield. That's how bad Rojo and Leonard Fournette's been. Leonard Fournette gets four carries for eight yards. Uh, Rojo, five for 11. And Tom Brady leads with 14 and a touch. You just can't believe it. On the Rams uh, side, Sonny Michelle gets a bunch of carries. Doesn't do a whole lot with them. 20 for 67, just a 3.4 per carry average. And of course, Cooper Cup keeps on balling. Eastern Washington grad FCS represent. We'll talk about Grizz Eastern Washington later. It's a big game this week. Uh, but he goes 9 of 96 for two touches. Deshaun Jackson, the home run king. Matt Stafford could get on the ball, unlike Jared Goff. 3 for 120 and a touch. And Mike Evans leads the way for uh, Tampa Bay. Eight catches, 106 yards. On the def uh, defensive side of the ball, neither quarterback gets pressured too much. Um, there's no turnovers. Pretty clean game. These guys look ready for the postseason. The Rams had 407 yards to Tampa Bay's 446. And the Rams go 10 of 15 on third down. Very impressive. The Bucks 6 of 13. Watch out. The Rams look like the real deal. Before they enter NFC West play. When is their first NFC West game? Oh, this week. Back-to-back. -back. Cardinals at home at Seattle. Potentially thinking about going to that Seattle game. You never know. Um, and then a game that was tough for me to pick, but I ended up picking the Vikings at home. And they delivered. 30-17 to over the Seahawks. as this, Both teams are 1-2. and two, But Minnesota needed this game to keep their season alive. Kirk Cousins, 30-38, 323, three touchdowns. Russell, 23-32, 298 and a touch. And on the uh, ground game, there is no Dalvin Cook. Insert mini Dalvin Cook. Alexander Madison, 26 for 112 yards. Also gets six receptions for 59 yards as he uh, goes for 170 total yards on the day. And Chris Carson has 12 uh, carries for 80 yards and a touchdown for a respectable 6.7 per rush average. And Tyler Lockett goes down early. Seems to be not as serious as it looked. DK Metcalf leads the way. 107 yards on six catches and a touchdown. Justin Jefferson, he, he's doing the greedy. Nine for 108 yard, 118 yards and a touch. And Eric Kendricks gets 11 tackles and a sack from Minnesota. Jamal Adams with 12 tackles. 
when you see a guy in the secondary getting that many tackles, I do respect Jamal's game. I do know he's physical, but that usually says that they're getting beat somewhere in the cushion. He's having to tackle a bunch of receivers catching balls. And then Bobby Wagner, always a tackling machine. He gets 11 tackles here. Um, the Vikings do go for 453 yards on that very porous Seattle Seahawks defense. They convert 9 of 14 on third down, while the Seahawks struggle 3 of 8. And no turnovers in this game, but uh, Minnesota outpossessed the Seahawks by 11 minutes, which set us up for some Sunday night football. The Packers 30, the Niners 28. I got this game wrong. I thought 49ers would win at home, and I am just not a big fan of the Packers defense. Well, Jimmy G has a Jimmy G-like game, 25 for 40, 257, two touches and a pick. And Aaron Rodgers just looked effortless, effortless out there. 23 of 33, 261, and two touchdowns. Aaron Jones chips in, 19 carries, 82 and a touch. While the Niners' run game is a mess, all the injuries, they get 67 yards, led by the rookie in his first start, 10 carries for 31 and a touch. But with all the running back injuries, they give Brandon Ayuka carry, George Kittle a carry, Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback, gets five, Trey Lance gets one, Debo gets two. So they were trying to mix in interesting play calls to get some uh, ground game going, and it didn't quite cut it. And obviously leading the show for the, the uh, 49ers, George Kittle, seven catches, 92 yards. And Devontae Adams, my number one pick in fantasy, 12 for 132 and a touch. I definitely needed that this week, and so did the pack. Um, Aziz Alshair had 10 tackles for the Niners, while Devondre Campbell has 12 for the pack. And yeah, great game. The pack that to me shows that the Packers could win some big games, especially on the road. And the Niners are going to have some things to work through, hopefully some health in the backfield uh, to get them to where they need, as I had them predicted in the Super Bowl this year. And then Monday night, uh, a good divisional game here. It's usually a really close divisional game. Well, the Cowboys showed supreme at home. All the stars in Dallas, they go 41-21 to over the Eagles. As expected, Jalen Hurts, I'm just not a huge fan. I don't think he's a true NFL franchise quarterback. He goes 25 of 39, 326, two touchdowns, two pick, uh, two picks for 86 yards or 86 rating. The running game wasn't very existent. Jalen Hurts led with nine carries for 35 yards. While Miles Sanders only gets two for 27. Granted, they were playing behind as the Cowboys had a huge drive to start the game, almost got a turnover. For a touchdown, the, the Eagles, seven of their 21 points did come off a touchdown defensively. Uh, Zeke um, looks pretty Zeke-y. Uh, he goes 17 for 95, two touchdowns, 5.6 per carry. But how about Tony Pollard, man? He just looks explosive. You got to give him carries as well. 11 for 60, 5.5 average. What a dynamic duo they have in store. And Dalton Schultz ends up leading the way. Uh, Cooper only gets 26. Receiving yards, C.D. Lamb, 66. Schultz gets six catches, 80 yards, and two touchdowns. While Dallas Goder, the other tight end, opposite team, leads the Eagles two for 66. On the defensive side of the ball, being on the field most of the game, Anthony Harris had 14 tackles. Alex Singleton, another FCS representer out of the all but enjoyable Montana State Bobcats, gets 10 tackles. Uh, and Javon Hargrave, ex-Steeler, definitely carving his way out. He gets two tack, uh, two sacks and six tackles. 
and um, Trayvon Diggs and Anthony Brown gets interceptions. As Trayvon Diggs gets his pick for his third week in the row, he's rolling in the secondary for the boys. So what the hell do we got week four? Well, Thursday night, I don't know who picks these games or what the idea here is. Obviously, Sunday and Monday night probably have first pick. But you're going to tell me we're going to get Giants-Washington. Ended up being a doozy. Panthers-Texans. And now we get Jacksonville Jaguars visiting the Bengals. Yeah, I mean, if these guys had teams around them, maybe Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, you know, that's fun. The top, top picks from previous years. But it's a shocker. You know, I'm definitely going to take the Bengals at home. The Jaguars are just a fucking mess, and the Bengals find ways to win behind Mr. Joe Burrow. That's going to be fun. Let's look at the Jaguars. So I was knocking the Jets. Can they get a win? Well, how about the Jags? At Cincinnati, it's it's feasible. Not going to say it's not possible. Not going to let give them wins at Tennessee, Miami, bye week. Seattle, Buffalo, Indy, 49ers, Atlanta. That's two potential wins. Rams, Titans, Texans, Jets. So, yeah, they have four as well. But, yeah, I, I might be surprised if Urban Meyer makes it out of this son of a gun this, this season. Uh, the Washington football team Sunday morning traveled to, the, uh, to Atlanta to the uh, Mercedes-Benz Dome to take on the Falcons. You know, both teams one and two. Both teams very hungry. I think Washington's going to find a way to win this game. Even though their defense has been a lot less a lot less amazing than I expected. I expected them to be a top three unit this year. Let's see if I could find defensive rankings. Let's see if they have defense rankings. PFF. They can't be up there very. Yeah. They're one, two, three, fourth to the bottom. They're ranked 27th. That's tough. We'll see what they can do against Atlanta. I'm going to take them on the road. Uh, we have the Texans visiting the Bills. I bet you the Texans play them tougher than we think. The spread 16. I would probably not take the Bills to cover, but they will handle business and beat the Texans. Uh, the Bears host the Lions divisional game. Uh, Justin Fields, can we get some help? Can the Lions get a win? This is going to be a shit show of a game. Bears favored by three. I'm going to take the Bears. Uh, Cowboys hosting the Panthers. This is going to be a blast of a game. Cowboys 2-1, and one, Panthers 3-0. and oh. I am going to take Dallas at home, though. I think that offense behind Dak Prescott keeps rolling against the young defense. They did just trade for uh, C.J. Henderson. I don't know if he's going to play right away or what. I assume they have to have him there. Uh, but the Cowboys receiver is going to take advantage. The Dolphins hosting the, Col the Colts. Um, yeah, with just the injuries, it's hard to take the Colts. Uh, it's hard to take the Dolphins with uh, Jacoby Brissett. I'm going to take the Colts on the road to get the victory and get their first win of the season. I have the Vikings uh, beating or hosting the Browns. You know, this is a, another tough draw for the Vikings. What a tough schedule for them. Very two close defeats to start the season. They end up getting a win. Uh, they lost to the Bengals on the road in overtime. They lost to the Cardinals, and then they beat the Seahawks. I'm going to have them taking on the Browns. I think they're going to beat the Browns. I'm going to take them. They're a two point, uh, the Browns are a two-point favorite. So if anything, you could bet the spread. But I think this is going to be a fun game, very defining game for the Vikings. They go one and three. It's going to be tough sledding. So I'm going to take the Vikings at home. Uh, we have Saints hosting the Giants. Oh, another shit show of a game. 
I think Jameis Winston gets enough done against that very defeated defensive unit for the Giants. The Giants go 0-4. That might be another coaching job on the line. Uh, we have the Jets hosting the Titans. I give zero credit for the Jets. I don't need to break them down. I think the Titans get this win on the road. Uh, Eagles hosting the Chiefs. Both teams 1-2. and two, I think the Chiefs are going to have quite a coming out party with all the injuries on the defensive side of the ball for Philly, and I don't believe the Jalen Hurts-led offense is going to be able to keep up the scoring, even if the Chiefs are messy again for another week. The NFC West starts to begin. The Rams take on the Cardinals, and the Niners take on the Seahawks. I'm taking both home teams as we have a battle of undefeateds this afternoon on Fox. Uh, it's going to be a blast of a game. Matt Stafford, Kyler Murray. I like the Rams' defense as the the, the defining piece in this game, uh, you know, Home field and SoFi, is it really home field and SoFi? I heard it was loud for them last week, so I'm not sure. But I'm going to take the Rams. The Rams are favored by four and a half. Uh, I think they'll probably cover in this game as well. That's going to be a game of the week. And then you have Niners hosting the Seahawks. After a tough loss last week, can Russ turn around his team? I don't think they're going to have enough uh, to do it. But how can Kyle Shanahan manage this game? I predicted Kyle Shanahan having a duo of Jimmy G and Trey Lance winning coach of the year. I don't know if I like what he's uh, done systematically this far, so this will be a pretty defining game against not very good of a defense in Seattle. The Broncos host the very beat-up Ravens. Teddy Bridgewater looks to stay undefeated. They're favored by a point. I'm actually going to take the Broncos. I think that defense is going to hold Lamar in check on the ground, which that sets up a victory with all the injuries and the depleted unit of Baltimore. So I'm going to take the Broncos in mile high at home. Not easy to win on the road in mile high. Um... Packers versus Steelers. How in the hell is the defensive side of the ball going to slow down Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams? They don't have the cornerback health. Their best corner is a 32-year-old Joe Hayden. Love you to death, but he's not slowing down Devontae. Uh, they're not going to be able to slow down the run game unless TJ Watt and the whole unit ends up playing this week, which doesn't look feasible. And uh, our offense is so broken in Pittsburgh, I don't know how they're going to keep up scoring. So I am going to take the Packers. They're favored by six and a half. I bet you Pittsburgh does look improved. Um, I want to be surprised if they find a way to win just the way the season's going. But um, I don't think the, Packer, the Packers cover, but I'm going to take them in the picks this week. Going to be a good game to watch, though. I will be in Seattle this weekend at, at T-Mobile watching the Angels-Seattle Mariners final season. So I'll be streaming this in the T-Mobile stadium. Um, and then Sunday night for a reason. All the press, all the glory. TB12 back and forth. Foxborough for the first time. Uh, the Patri or the Bucks are favored by seven. I think they're going to blow the doors out. I think Tom Brady wants blood. They asked about, you know, how are you going to feel? Is there going to be emotions involved? He said, no, this is business. He's got that mentality. You know, he can't be undefeated. They're two and one already, but that's the mentality he has this year. He has it all on the line. He's about to retire. Why not? Like he has nothing to lose. That guy's done everything and anything. Um, he's going to find a way to beat Bell, Bell, Bill Belichick, and I don't think Bill Belichick has the talent to slow that team down. So I'm going to take the Bucks. Um, sets us up for Monday night, another AFC West game. The young Justin Herbert-led Chargers versus the AFC West leading Raiders, the Vegas Raiders. I'm going to take Herbert in that offense. It's going to be a shootout. I don't think there's a lot of defense involved or played in this game. But, yeah, I'm going to go with the Chargers. 
The Bills are atop the AFC East 2-1. The Bengals tied for the lead, but atop the AFC North. Titans atop the AFC South. Surprising. Broncos, Chargers, 3-0. Charger, or Broncos, Raiders, 3-0 leading the AFC West, while the Chiefs are 1-2. I highly doubt that that's the way it uh, ends. Uh, Cowboys already up on the NFC East. The Packers up the NFC North. No surprise. The Panthers 3-0 leading the 2-1 Bucks and Saints, while the Rams and Cardinals will be, def- uh, will be fighting for the lead in the NFC West. That's the way the cookies, cookies have crumbled. That's what we have in store this week. Before we talk college football, let's talk contenders. Let's talk pretenders. I'm not talking every team, but some, te- some people think some of these teams that I'm talking about and the pretenders have a shot. So we'll start with the contenders. I think it's pretty NFC heavy, but we got the Rams. We got the Bucks, we got the Niners, we got the Bills, we got the Chiefs, and yes, I'm putting the Cowboys in there. If they can stay healthy, they can get their linemen back. That offense has a double duo playoff running back setup with obviously good receivers. They get Gallup back. Dak Prescott continues to play turnoverless ball. They're going to be a tough team to beat. Um, obviously, the Rams and Bucks are pretty top heavily favored. Chiefs and Bills in the AFC. And then I'm throwing the 49ers in there, even though they've dealt with a lot of injuries. I think they have a great defense, uh, a great schematic and culture that they're going to find a way to win in that tough NFC West. Or, uh, yeah, NFC West. My pretenders, the Cardinals, I just don't think they're there. I think they're a year or two away from being there. Uh, They're going to be fun. They're going to be splashy. They are 3-0, but we'll see that record start catching up to them once they play the Rams defense. Uh, They have to play them twice. The 49ers defense, they have to play them twice. And I'm not too sure if they're a lot better than the Seahawks at this point. I wouldn't be surprised if they split those games. I'm also putting the Seahawks in here as pretenders. That defense isn't going to get the job done. And I think they're an injury or two away from having a lot of problems, a.k.a. also Tyler Lockett. Uh, The Packers, I'm going to put in pretenders. That defense is just not scary. It's not scaring anybody. Um, How invested Aaron Rodgers is to this team, I'm still not too sure. I'm going to put the Broncos and Panthers and Raiders as undefeated teams that look promising, but they don't have the units to go. They don't. I don't think Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, or Derek Carr are going to, you know, pole vault teams into true contention. So that's why I have them as pretenders. And then I'm going to put the Chargers uh, in a pretender as well. I like what I've seen this far. They've improved from what I've seen. I think they are a little better than I gave them credit for to start the year. But are they better than the Chiefs? Honestly, by the end of the year, and a, and a, you know, the the Chiefs had a messy game last week, but I just don't think they're better. So I'm going to have them as a pre- pretender. Uh, watch out in a year or two, though. The Ravens injuries, they do you know have some decent uh, aspects of the team without you know some of the health, but I just don't believe in Lamar Jackson leading a team to a Super Bowl either. And the Browns have all the names, right? They have all the excitement. I just don't believe in Baker Mayfield and the culture and the coaching of that team and the Titans as well. Derrick Henry, that defense plays scrappy. We've seen what that can do in the playoffs. I'm just not putting my money on Tannehill and squad to be able to be a true contender. So my contenders, I got Rams, Bucks, Niners, Bills, Chiefs, and Cowboys. Pretenders, I'll put the Steelers in here too, just as a non-biased fan. I don't think they're anywhere. I don't know, contender or pretender, but... Steelers, Cardinals, Seahawks, Packers, Broncos, Panthers, Raiders, Chargers, Ravens, Browns, and Titans. Contenders, pretenders, week four coming at you. Let's talk college football.
So in college football, we have updated rankings. We'll talk about the games here in a second. Uh, the top four now consists of Bama, no surprise, with 58 first uh, place votes. Georgia, number two, with four. Then Oregon stays at three, and Penn State slides to number four after the showing of the Oklahoma Sooners. They put Penn State in at four. Uh, another Big Ten team, Iowa, stays at five. Cincinnati, seven. Arkansas up eight spots after the impressive win uh, to number eight. And Notre Dame rounding out the top ten at nine with Florida at ten. A big mover outside of that, Texas A&M drops eight spots. So pretty much they flip-flop with Arkansas as they go down to 15. Uh, Oklahoma State enters the rankings undefeated 4-0 at uh, 19. Baylor comes in, two Big 12 teams, 4-0 at 21. And then NC State and Wake Forest enter, while Clemson barely stays in the rankings, down 16 spots. After another defeat, they're 2-2, two two, find themselves at 25. Uh, Notre Dame really has one last big game, and I believe it's this week, right? Which is this week against Cincinnati. They're at Virginia Tech. They play USC North Carolina, so they still have some opponents to get through, so it's not done and said that they're going to be undefeated, which will be interesting to see come the end of the season if they are. Um, outside of that, Michigan at 14, I still think they're a little overrated. Coastal Carolina, 16. Michigan State, 17. Potentially a little underrated. Fresno State, I don't know how they're still 18. Uh, they move up four spots. I think they're a little overrated. Auburn, 22. I believe they will move back up at the rankings. But we got a lot of season, a lot of football left. So let's talk about what happened last week, week four. On Friday, this is why, you know, Fresno State, 38-30 to over UNLV. Like, come on, man. That if, if if you can barely beat UNLV at home, how are you, you don't deserve to be in the top twenty-five, to be frank. Um Jake Hayner, 30 for 42, 378 yards and five touchdowns as he continues to ball out. And a lot of his yards goes to Carrick Wheatfall. Five catches, 115. Jalen Cropper, 10 for 108 and four tutties. What a day for Mr. Jalen Cropper. Moving into Saturday morning. Bama continues to roll over Southern Miss. Bryce Young, 20 for 22, 313 and five touchdowns. Uh, Georgia continues to roll 62 to zero over Vanderbilt. Stetson Bennett, 11 for 15, 151 yards and a touchdown. Oregon continues to roll as well. The third ranked team, 41 to 19 over an, uh, a winless Pac-12 Arizona. And Travis Dye leads the way, five carries, 92 yards. And then my squad, we had Oklahoma, West Virginia. Oh, where do I begin? Uh, the team is undefeated, which sometime the, the past few years, people forget that they've been in the top five or the yeah top four and, and made the college playoff. They've lost a game. It's still pretty early, but the defense looks almost like the stronger unit this far, which is wild to say. Heisman front runner to start the year, Spencer Rattler. Mixed reviews. I don't think it's looked terrible, but a lot of it's a lot like the Steelers issue, that offensive line. Your offensive line is not good. How can you have a good offense? It doesn't matter who's quarterback. It doesn't matter who's running back. And it just doesn't matter, man. Um, there's just way too much pressure being gave. The running backs have no holes. And um, they held a pretty good West Virginia team to uh, 13 points, right? One touchdown in the first quarter. I believe it was the first their first drive of the game. Uh, maybe the second drive. Rattler does go 26-36, 256 in a touch. 
But, yeah, I mean, it's a long season. I think there's a lot of new pieces for Oklahoma. They'll find a way, but it's looking rough right now, and that's why they've slipped in the rankings. Um, we also had Penn State continue to roll against Villanova 38-13. to Sean Clifford, it looks like he's really developed this year. I don't know if this is a super senior year, and he got that extra year of eligibility because of COVID. Um, one, two, three. He's been a starter three years anyway. He's been there four. But, yeah, he, he's playing good ball. I've knocked him so much. Uh, it's a long season for him as well. But he goes 19-26, 401, and four touchdowns. I mean, sheesh. Uh, Iowa continues to roll. They beat Colorado State 24-14. to Spencer Petras, 15-23, and 224, and two touchdowns. Uh, Arkansas beating Texas A&M. Obviously, they don't have their starting quarterback, but still a solid squad. They're able to find a way to win. K.J. Jefferson, 7-15, 212, two touchdowns. They hold Isaiah Spiller to 12 carries, uh, 95 yards and a touch, and they win 10 to, or 20-10. North Carolina State entering the rankings at 3-1 with the upset in double overtime. This went to double overtime. NC State missing field goals left and right. They still find a way to win. That's just how bad Clemson is right now. Uh, they win 27-21. Devin Leary leads the Wolfpack 32-44, uh, 238, and four touchdowns. And then Ohio State rolls over Akron, 59-7. Um, Kyle McCord comes in as the, the uh, rookie quarterback, doesn't start. He goes 13 of 18, 319 yards and two touchdowns. Florida rolls over Tennessee, 38-14. Uh, Emory Jones, the quarterback, has 15 carries for 144 yards. And then... It wasn't on Wisconsin in this game. I was really rooting for them to win to, to shut down the undefeated season of Notre Dame. But Notre Dame wins 41-13. to 13. Um, Yeah, I mean, let's look at the team stats here. It was close until like the last five minutes. I honestly don't even know what the hell happened. That's why I'm looking at this because I'm interested how this collapsed. Because going into quarter four, it was 10-13. to 13, And then it was 17-13. to 13, And then under 10 minutes... Kevin Austin, a 16-yard touchdown pass. Then they get a field goal, a uh, pick six, pick six at the end of the game. Okay, that's what happened. Basically, the wheels fell off at the end of the game. Um, Jack uh, Cohen, Sowen, 15 and 29, 158 yards and a touch. He did get hurt. Drew Pine comes in, 6 of 8, 81 and a touch. And Graham Mertz has four picks on the day. Tough, tough. Uh, the biggest surprise, this is why Baylor's in the rankings. They beat Iowa State, who I believe started the season at 7. I was planning on going to Norman to watch Oklahoma-Iowa State. Figured they'd be undefeated. This would be for the division. It's not the case. Um, Brock Purdy goes 22-33, 263, a touchdown and a pick. Brees Hall looking NFL ready, 27 carries, 190 yards for a 7 per yard per rush average, and two touchdowns his long on the day, 42 um, Baylor's led by Gary Bohannon, right? They had transferred their quarterback transferred to Utah, uh, cause he wasn't getting a lot of playing time. It seems like that was a good move by them because he's not even starting at Utah. Um, and yeah, I mean, um, Iowa state's able to out yard Baylor almost by double. They had 479 yards to Baylor's 282. Um, I didn't get to watch this full game. They outpossessed Baylor by 11 minutes. And still find a way to lose the game. They both had a turnover. So that's not too crazy. Uh, 
but tough loss for Iowa State as they're 2-2 two two in this early season. BYU escapes to stay undefeated in the 15th-ranked team over Southern or South Florida. Baylor Romney goes 20-25, 305 yards and three touches. Coastal Carolina keeps rolling. They beat UMass 53-3. Grayson McCall, 10-14, uh, 162 and two touchdowns. Michigan trumps Rutgers, even though it's a close game. Right, if you're going to be close against Rutgers, I don't have to think that highly of you. Um, Blake Corum doesn't have the big game as as he typically did this year. Twenty one to sixty eight for a three point two average and no touchdowns, but they still find a way to win the game. Uh, Michigan State beats Nebraska by three. Looked like the Michigan State probably were expecting through most of the year. Uh, they squeezed by. No crazy offensive performances in this game. Auburn skates by Georgia State. A little scary game for them. You know, they're definitely on a down low. Uh, Bo Nix, 13, 27, 156 yards. I don't know if he got benched or what, but TJ Finley, 9 of 16, 97 yards and a touch. Did Bo Nix get benched? Pulled Bo Nix against Georgia State. Yep. Well, it says he's extremely frustrated about being benched. I, you know, I thought highly he was a elite 11 quarterback. I watched the elite 11. I think it's only on YouTube. Now he used to be on NFL network. Uh, he seemed like the real deal and he gets benched, but Auburn finds a way to win. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, UCLA, they find a way to beat Stanford. I was really rooting for Stanford in this one. Dorian Thompson, Robinson, 18 to 29, 251 and two touchdowns. And Zach Charbonnet, 23 carries, 118 and a touch. Well, it's all the Tanner McKee show for Stanford offensively. He goes 19 of 32, 293 and three touchdowns and goes for eight carries and 42 yards. LSU beats Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State's two and two while LSU is three and one. Pittsburgh beats New Hampshire. And I almost, I'm almost honestly on the Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh to Steelers train. He goes 24 for 28, 403 yards, and not one, not two, not three, not four, but five tutties on the day. Sure, it's New Hampshire, but oh my goodness, this guy can ball, and he doesn't have a huge supporting cast around him. Virginia Tech back in the winning column over Richmond, uh, 21 to 10. Braxton Burmeister, 17, 27, 212 yards and a touch. Minnesota drops a game against Bowling Green. Obviously, they're losing their starting running back, but their other running back, Trayson Potts, still gets 27 carries, 141 yards. Texas rolls, and I mean rolls, Texas Tech, 70-35. to 35. I would assume they found their starting quarterback as Mr. Young, Casey Thompson, 18-23, 303 yards, five touches and an interception. Um, I doubt that he, he gets benched the rest of the season. And Bajan Robinson with a good game. 18 carries, 137 yards. Maybe Texas is on their on the momentum way. The Big 12 is winning some big games right now. Might be better than I expected coming into the season. Utah beats Washington State. Only reason I care about this is to see who's the quarterback. Well, guess what? It's not the Baylor transfer. It's Cameron Rising. He goes 13 to 23, 137 yards. And the ex-Oklahoma transfer, TJ Pledger with 10 carries for 117 yards. That's an 11.7 per rush carry. He gets a touchdown. Boy, could the Sooners use him right now. 
Uh, shout out Cowboys, Wyoming undefeated. Granted, it came all the way down to the wire to beat UConn. They went for two at the end of the game, didn't get it. Sean Chambers, 15-26, 149 a touch and two picks. And Xavier uh, Valade, 22 carries, 101 yards and a touchdown. The Cowboys stay undefeated. Um, what else we got? Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns end up beating Georgia Southern as they drop to one and three. That's an FCS transfer school. Louisiana was top 25 coming in. Um, you know, they did lose one game, but they, they, they keep finding ways to win. Washington beats Cowan overtime to get another win after a fucking train wreck of a start of the season. And Oregon State beats USC in the nightcap 45 to 27. They didn't just beat them. They smoked them. Well, after Slovis gets hurt last week, they have the new freshman that looks amazing, looks looks uh, college ready, looks Pac-12 ready. Well, Slovis comes back. He's 31 of 49, 355 yards, a touchdown, but three picks on the day. That's got to be a head scratcher for the head coach to figure out as USC is 2-2, two 1-2 and two, one and two in the Pac-12. And in FCS land, Montana has homecoming. They play a team that always plays them tough in Cal Poly. Well, guess what? Montana steamrolls Cal Poly on homecoming. Uh, mostly a defensive effort there, but they put up 39 while they hold uh, Cal Poly to 7. Cameron Humphrey, 15 of 24, 215 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Xavier Harris, the, the freshman running back, 9 carries, 70 yards. And Samuel Kim, 2 catches, 84 yards and a touchdown. They're going to need a lot more offensive firepower if they want to beat Eastern Washington this week. Elsewhere in the FCS world, I believe there was one more big game this week. South Dakota State beats Indiana State 44-0. It's a highly ranked team. Um, I believe there was one more of note. Sam Houston beats Central Arkansas 45-35. They get played close, the number one ranked team in FCS. Montana State 30-17 over Portland State. Dang, Isaiah Afonsi, 30 carries, 217 yards and a touch for Montana State. And Lance McCutcheon, 8 carries, 161 yards and a touch. That offense looking to have some weapons. Granted, it was Portland State. Eastern Washington continues to roll. 50 to 21 over Southern Utah and UC Davis escapes through Weber state 17 to 14 of two big time ranked teams. Weber state. What a tough schedule. They drop one to three. Um, oh, and one in the big sky, but they have had to battle through. Oh. They've had a battle through a very start, tough start of the schedule. They got beat by Utah 40-17. to They beat Dixie State. They lose to James Madison, another highly ranked FCS team, and lose to UC Davis. Um, looks like a defensive game for sure. Uh, the, the quarterback for UC Davis, only 99 yards. Kylan Weiser for Weber, 19-32, 225, a touchdown and two picks. Let's see. Weber State with three turnovers. You can't win the game being minus three in turnovers. Well, for Washington State, not a lot of turnovers here. Uh, Eric Bre Breer, 
30 of 43, 518 yards and four touchdowns. Jesus, I hate to say it, but that's an Eastern Washington stat. There are two receivers, Tololo, Limu, Jones, seven receptions, 175 and a touch. Efton Chisholm, the third, eight for 147, two touches. Can that Montana Grizz defense slow down the on-fire, I mean on-fire offense of Eastern Washington? Both teams are ranked in the top 10 in the FCS. See what the exact rankings are. I know that Montana is still 15. Go, go Grizz, little up top shirt. Shout out Cole Anderson and his brother and everything they're doing there. Got to get him on the podcast. Get him on business, the business episodes. Montana four, they stay at four, get two per- first plate votes. And Eastern Washington moves up a spot to number six. So massive, massive battle in the big sky, in the FCS. And it's so good, they flexed it. They said ESPN Plus is not good enough. Let's put it on ESPN2. I've almost debated of driving all the way down to fucking Cheney, Washington to go watch the Grizz take on Eastern Washington. But I'm afraid that offense is going to put up too many points. I don't want to drive back pissed off. I'll be in T-Mobile probably streaming it while watching the Angels probably lose to the Mariners as they vie for the playoffs, which we'll talk about. Um, Other important games in FCS. Let's see. Sam Houston, 3-0, taking on Stephen Austin. Stephen F. Austin, they're 3-1. That could be an interesting game. James Madison playing New Hampshire, who's 3-1. North Dakota State, an in-state battle of two top-ranked FCS teams, North Dakota State and North Dakota. Uh, North Dakota does have one loss from an FBS school, but that's going to be a big, big game for FCS rankings and for um, for the Grizz. Cross-state t- cross action. Never would have thought in my life, even as a Grizz fan, I'd see top two teams being North Dakota and fucking North Dakota State. Right, North Dakota State's come up from D3, dominated, came up, FCS, dominating. Wouldn't be surprised if they go to FBS. But yeah, that's it in the FCS slate. We got a lot of fun of college football action. I did want to talk about um, Oklahoma, though, before we talk about the FBS games this week. Like, the, the, the you know, it's in Norman. Pretty big game. Didn't think West Virginia would play them that tough. And they start booing the team and start shouting, we want Caleb over Spencer Rattler, the Heisman favorite that hasn't had a train wreck of a season. They're undefeated. Usually they lose a game early in the season. Uh, what does that do, right? It, it messes up. If you bring recruits to the game, that looks poor on you. If you, you want to have a decent season, you can't bench Spencer. That just destroys his mentality. Then Caleb doesn't work out. You go back to Spencer. Like, come on, guys. Um, I just thought that was crazy that that was a loud, like, from everybody chant. Um, they're 4-0. It may not be pretty, but they're 4-0. Until they lose a game, I'm sure that offense will figure it out. Both Steelers, Oklahoma, both my teams. Offensive lines, it's tough to figure out, but we'll see. So let's talk about the big boys, the FBS action. Um, Maryland, sure, they're 4-0. Do I think that high of the ter- uh, Terrapins? Probably not. The Terps, uh, they've beaten West Virginia. They beat Howard, Illinois, and Kent State. They are undefeated, and they will be hosting the number five Iowa Hawkeyes. Hey, you never know. Watch out. 
Um, Saturday morning, starting the day, SEC action. The eighth-ranked Arkansas Razorbacks will be traveling to uh, to uh, play the Georgia Bulldogs, the number two-ranked team. That's going to be a fun game for Saturday morning. People, I know I got some chores to do. I got to get up, stream that game, probably at halftime, go do my chores. Uh, Wisconsin hosts Michigan. Michigan's undefeated. They want to stay high in the rankings. We'll see if Wisconsin can spoil the party. You, you know, They're 1-2, and two, but it's not like they're a terrible team. Uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Georgia Tech hosting Pittsburgh. I will be watching the Kenny Pickett show. I mean, the guy's 19 of... Um, 98 of 132, 1,300 yards, and 15 touchdowns. And it's week five, ladies and gents. I think this guy's ready for the NFL. Thought I saw a fly up there, but it was a, or a moth, but it's just a, a scratch in my ceiling from bringing this table and turning it a big mark in the ceiling. Anyways, uh, we got... Hey, if this is basketball, Duke, North Carolina, watch out. Uh, but you'll be tuning in to watch the Sam Howell show as he has been on a roll lately. Texas TCU, we'll see if Texas could keep the winning ways and see if uh, Caleb Thompson is as good as he looked last week on the road. Cincinnati-Notre Dame, huge game for the college football playoff. Both these teams have an undefeated season. It will be a debate for the college football playoff committee, so I'm sure they're rooting for both of these teams to lose. Someone's got to lose this game, so they're already in a step ahead. I'm going to take Notre Dame at home, though. I'm not that big on Cincinnati. Um, as long as Jack Cohen's healthy, I think they'll get the job done. Alabama plays Old Miss. Ole Miss is ranked 12? How did I miss that? Dang. Potentially, the Heisman favorite, Matt Coral, playing for Ole Miss... They're going to be on the road and try to stop the Alabama train from roll tide on that ass. We'll see if Coral's the real deal and see what Bryce Young's got. This is probably their most competitive game this far for Alabama. Memory serves. They played Miami, Mercer, Florida. Florida was very tough, so potentially not. I'd probably say Florida's tougher. But still another big game. That's the SEC. That's life in the SEC. Texas, Oklahoma, strap in because when this actually happens... Yeah, it's going to be brutal. Stanford hosts Oregon. Stanford always plays Oregon tough. That could potentially be um, a playoff breaker for the Ducks, so definitely worth tuning in. That's an afternoon 12:30 Pacific game. My Oklahoma Sooners playing Kansas State. You would not think an unranked team would be that big of a game, but Kansas State has defeated Oklahoma the past two seasons. They do have Deuce Vaughn, who has 393 yards and five touchdowns. They're not going to have their starting quarterback, but still a game, a road game for Oklahoma. I will definitely have my eyes tuned in and glued to the TV for that one. Dun, dun, dun. Heading into later in the day, we have Baylor, Oklahoma State, two teams that are now in the top 25. Bravo, Big 12, of, of showing some competition. I thought the conference was going to be dog shit this year. Uh, I like Oklahoma State at home. I like their quarterback over Gary Bohannon. Um, I, I like Sanders and that offense, what they have to do. I think it's going to be a fun game, uh, and it's going to be play big dividends for teams that want to have an opportunity for the Big 12 championship. Indiana, a previous ranked team, will be playing uh, Penn State. You know, Penn State being fourth, you'd think they'd be able to roll through Indiana, but people have thought highly of Indiana. Maybe they put it together and stop the Big Ten train of the Nittany Lions. 
LSU plays Auburn. Auburn still ranked. What happens with Bo Nix? Do we see him? Do we not see him? What happens with LSU? Do they find a way to win out this season? Are they just a shit show like we think they are? I'm going to go with Auburn, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see Bo Nix back. Maybe that was just a treatment to get his head out of his ass. And that's really it for big games next week. Week five. God damn. Shit, we're almost at episode 50 in this son of a gun. It's football season. I love it. I could just sit there and watch football. It's been raining like a motherfucker here in Seattle. It's going to be like that all fall. I strap in. I just assume four or five more months of this shit. Thank God for football. Thank God for football. And thank God for the UFC because what a card we had. UFC 266. Holy shit. I had a concert that night. I didn't watch them all live. I, I bought the pay-per-view so I could come back and watch. And thank God did I because that Volkanovski-Ortega fight, fight of the year in my book, potentially probably last the rest of the year with the way that that fought, fight fought that fight that fought the fight turned out but let's talk some headlines in the ufc then we'll dive into 266 and preview this week's fight night card well the goat hands down the goat my favorite fighter he gets inducted to the hall of fame john jones goes to vegas gets a hall of fame introduction and does a little bit of celebration a celebration goes wild a report said that the cops had come. This The girl, I've heard it's like his fiance, just some girl, has blood on her face, marks on her face. And uh, as the cops come, he slammed his head in the police car. He goes to jail, um, damage to a police car, potential for um, domestic abuse. I don't think this is going to hold him back from fighting. He, he Instagrammed a couple days later before the report was official that alcohol is not a friend of his. He is not going to let that in his, into his life. I enjoy alcohol, right? I enjoy having my vices. But how do you let it get that over the top? There's got to be a lot more than alcohol involved, in my opinion. But where there's smoke, there's fire, right? Maybe one thing leads to another for Mr. John. Please get your shit together. Please fight and win the UFC heavyweight title for us and give us some prime years because we are devastated as fans not being able to watch you fight as much as we deserve and as you deserve, Mr. John Jones. Um, Chris Dacus, we haven't even talked about his fight. He's already got another fight coming up. This man is moving in the UFC. He's moving in the rankings, and he means business. He wants to stay active. Uh, supposedly not quite official, but most likely official. We'll be fighting... The Black Beast, Derek Lewis in January. What a fun banger that's going to be. And the Bantamweight, it's hard to have a shitty matchup. But Jose Aldo fighting Rob Font. What a banger alert that's going to be. Cannot wait for that one. Um, speaking of veterans that are trying to turn things around quickly, Derek Brunson, Derek Brunson, Jared Cannonier, two guys that should have an opportunity to fight for the title. But because the rematch, um, the... Uh, Usman rematch isn't happening for later. Getting another fight will help. Plus, you can make some money because they don't have a lot of career earnings. Well, they said, bro, let's just let's bang it out. The winner takes all, gets the title shot. Derek Brunson versus Jared Cannonier. What a fucking fight that is going to be. Sadly, in the bantamweight division, more issues. Aljamain Sterling out of the yawn rematch. Sanhagen insert in. I think this is going to be a fun fight. This might even be worse of opponent for Mr. Peter Yan, Peter Yan, uh, than Aljamain. I'm still excited, still bummer to see. I would like that rematch be hashed out right away. Um, 
kind of annoying. Dan Hooker almost missed his fight because in New Zealand, the politics of government, Izzy went on his YouTube channel and just bitched about New Zealand and he doesn't want to claim New Zealand. He's moving city kickboxing out of there because of the bullshit. He had to go to and resort to Twitter, ladies and gentlemen. Good to, good for the UFC fight fans. Hashtag MMA Twitter. He posted, I need help with my visa. The only way I can expedite this, I need to have this by this day or I can't fight. You know, this is a, a big deal for me, which for him coming off some losses, a huge fight for him. They finally get him a visa. His opponent's battling the same issues in Russia. He ends up getting it all because of Twitter, social media. Social media does do something different. It did help us in this instance. Just makes me grateful for being in the U.S. of fucking A. Joe Biden and all. Um, Alexander Pantoja supposedly does not fight or did not get booked to fight Brandon Moreno and why they put the Figgy trilogy because he had knee surgery that forced him out. So that makes a lot more sense. I was curious to why they just gave Figgy the automatic, you know, three-peat, even though he's 0 for 2. Uh, but this makes a lot of sense because flyweight, the competition is getting better. But it's like those three above every... Well, Askar Askarov must have just got fucked. But those guys are uh, quite a bit above everyone else, in my opinion. In the boxing world, did not even know this was an earlier fight. The fight was over at like 5, 6 p.m. Anthony Joshua defeated... Not only defeated, but by unanimous decision over Alexander Usyk. Uh, I don't, you know, I'm not that big of a boxing fan to watch a lot of fights. Anthony Joshua is a guy I would like to, I like to watch. And the guy that beat him looks like a fucking guy that should be in a Rocky movie. He looks mean. He looks crazy. He's undefeated. Maybe Alexander Usyk's a guy to watch moving forward. We'll see. Uh, Bellator Tick 267 happening this Friday. Uh, Douglas Lima versus Michael Page, the rematch. Uh, Lima coming off two losses. Definitely needs to get back on the win column. That's worth tuning into again on Friday. But fuck Bellator, fuck boxing. We had UFC 266. We started off with hell of a fight card. Uh, a fight that I did not dive into and won't be recapping. You have to get props to uh, Talia Santos. Nice unanimous decision victory. Bravo. Bravo. But Chris Dacus, man, leading it off with a second round knockout over Shamil Abdurakimov. Man, the first round was back and forth. You know, both men filling each other out. But as the second uh, round moved on, Dacus's power was clearly evident and he landed multiple big shots against Shamil. He landed 38 total and significant uh, strikes versus Shamil's 23 total and significant. And with this big win against a top 10 opponent, it had leapfrogged him up the rankings. He goes up three spots to number seven and now has a date book with the Black Beast. Is he ready? I don't know. Am I going to tune in and find out? Absolutely. Um, he has now won five in a row. The ex-policeman out there knocking motherfuckers out. Uh, Shamil drops down one spot to number eight. And with the next fight, you know, supposedly set up for Chris, Shamil, who's lost two in a row, could maybe fight someone like Augusto Sakai, who's ranked number 10, and lost two in a row as well. But the heavyweight starting to shake out. Can't wait to see the Cyril Gan and Ganu, John Jones insert in the mix. And please, can we get Stipe back in action? Dan Hooker, with his visa and all, unanimous decision over Nazrat uh, Hackprast. You know, for me... Uh, my takeaways after this fight is that Nazareth is a promising future. You know, he's young. I believe he's 26. And and I just don't think Dan Hooker is ever going to get a, a shot at the title uh, in the lightweight division. The top dogs in this division may be the meanest in all divisions. 
And I expected him to have a highlight performance knockout here to get back on track and get back into the rankings. And, uh, you know, he did have three takedowns. He had 177 total strikes, 73 of those significant, while Nazrat only had 35 and 27 significant. But this wasn't quite the performance that I was expecting, even though those numbers are, you know, lopsided. Hooker does start a new winning streak, though, and now he's up to number six in the division, while Nazrat starts his new losing streak. Although it won't happen, I think a fight against Connor would be a blast of a fight. And if not, give him Tony. Give him Tony on his way out. Let him get another winning streak under his belt. But I'm not the matchmaker. We'll see what happens. Uh, Nazrat himself could fight a Leonardo Santos or Vince Pichel that are in the lightweight division further down. He could try to get back in a win streak. I'm sure we'll hear more of his name in the future. And then the fight that killed one of my parlays. I won the other. I won the other. Watch out. I got the the Sam Darnold first touchdown score, and I got a parlay in the UFC this weekend. Not a bad little weekend. Well, Marab the Machine Dishfili has a second-round K over Marlon Moraes, and what a wild fucking fight. Marlon Moraes was this close to finishing him. Uh, the fight was pretty crazy, right? Marab was legit knocked out, in my opinion. Uh, but because of the way the, the, things, the, the fight rolled out, Moraes just emptied his tank. He tried to give him everything. And the machine is the machine. He lived through it. He found a way, the Desfili way. He was able to then get uh, take down uh, Marlon, tire him out going into the second. And at the start of the second, sure as shit, took him down. And that was all she wrote. Uh, Murab looked like a wrestler first, as expected. A great win for his record. But I'm just not that overwhelmed. Murab held an exhausted Marlon down. He did land 246 total strikes, 69 of those significant, versus Marlon's 34 total and 29 significant. And Murab did have four takedowns. But next up, Marlon needs, definitely needs to pivot. That's three straight losses. He moves down four spots to number 10. So maybe a fight against Dominic Cruz or Cody Stamen makes sense. We'll see. Meanwhile, Murab moves up five spots to number six. And I just hate him in that ranking because I don't feel like he should fight anyone ranked higher than him. But if he wants to fight soon, and I don't think Sean and Dana are like super excited about booking Marab up for you know almost title contention. I think he'll fight someone further down the rankings if he wants to stay active, though. Maybe a Kyler Phillips or Raulian Peva. But we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. But this is a in a very tough bantamweight class, a guy that I just don't see taking that next step. He's got to improve his striking. Definitely has to improve his striking. And that's just the, the prelims. That's almost a fight night card in itself. We still have the whole main event ahead. We had Jessica, her, her leaked nudes and all from OnlyFans. No, I'm just kidding. Supposedly she has an OnlyFans account and paid all of her bills. For a UFC fighter shit, why not? Uh, she has a first round knockout over Cynthia Cavillo. And this is exactly what I expected. Andrade came straight forward from the from the horn. Even though Kavia was giving her everything, she just walked ahead. She landed 48 total strikes and significant strikes versus Kavia's 27 total and significant. Both women stay at their rankings. Andrade won respectively in Kavio 5. I just don't think they'll give Andrade the title fight after this since she just lost it. She is literally the Yoel Romero gatekeeper for both divisions. Hopefully, Ioana Young-Jaychik comes back soon because her versus Andrade would be stellar. 
Or maybe Lauren Murphy, she comes off the loss against Valentina. She's tough. She deserves it. They haven't fought. That can make sense for me as well. Cavillo needs to get back on track. She's lost two in a row now. So maybe a fight against Vivian Arahu, who, who looks pretty stellar as well. But yeah, it's just funny that Andrade is as gatekeeper as it gets. You know, she's changed divisions because she can't beat Waylay or Rose. Now she's just got all these issues. It'll be interesting to see what the UFC does with her. And then the fight that outside of the main event that I was probably the most excited about, Curtis Blades with the unanimous decision over Jarzinho, Rose, and Strook. You know, this fight was bound to happen, right? These guys have ran through everyone else in the division. And this fight wasn't very surprising to me, except that it went to three rounds. I didn't think that they would have the cardio to go three rounds, but they did. Blades, as expected, used his wrestling to his advantage and didn't let Jarzinho land too many big shots. He did get some on his back. Uh, You could see his eye kind of swollen up at the end. But Blades is just so athletic and just too quick. The double legs, like the spear power double leg he does with these guys, there's not much they can do. Right? There's not that much they can do unless you can land them like Derek Lewis, that, that big uppercut or counter punch as he comes in. Blades landed 103, 113 total strikes, 32 of those significant, versus Jarzinho's 32 total and 18 significant. Blades also had three takedowns. Blades himself now starts a new winning streak. And Rosen Strike starts a new losing streak. If Stipe is going to fight anytime soon, him versus Blades would be a great fight. And if Stipe still doesn't fight, let's give him Tom Aspinall. That looks like it sounds like fun to me. And hey, Jarzinho could fight Tom Aspinall. If not, maybe Walt Harris. Those are guys they have not fought. There's not a lack of fighters. Both fighters keep their rankings in the heavyweight division. And then the return of Mr. Nick fucking Diaz. Robbie Lawyer, Lawler, the ruthless Lawler. Third round, third round knockout over Nick Diaz. And it was just like the first fight, a boxing specialist, bo- executed boxing match. Um, the long-awaited return. It was fun while it lasted. I do think he injured his knee at the end of the fight, uh, which you know caused the end of the fight. But Nick didn't even look close to making weight. Obviously, they had an agreement to move it up to 185, not 170. I don't think he can make, you know, this guy, again, this is what I was worried about when picking him, right? you like, okay, well, let's think about it. You know, he's a marathon or does like Iron Man's all this shit, but he could smoke a lot of weed and, you know, do Diaz things. How prepared is he going to be? He didn't look to be in, a, you know, amazing shape. Like he really wanted it that bad. Um... His performance, you know, Lawler, tough opponent, but is he a contender? Absolutely not. You put him in there with Usman, fucking Nick's going to get murdered, man. I can't believe that that he was really thinking that that's the level that he was at. I personally don't expect him to return. He said if he got his ass whooped, he'd fight more. Maybe that is the case. I'm interested to see what happens, but my guess and bet would be that he doesn't. Um, A very anticlimactic finish here. Like I said, I think Diaz's knee was gone. He didn't really speak on it, just said it is what it is. I think that was a reason for the finish. Diaz did land 150 total insignificant strikes to Lawler's 131 total insignificant. I thought Diaz, to my point in the pre in the you know previewing this card, was maybe going to look to take him down and do some jujitsu, but they were happy boxing it out. Uh, Diaz hasn't won now since August of 2019, and Lawler is starting a new winning streak. Ruthless could fight Miguel Beza, maybe, or Kevin Lee, who's been struggling. 
But I don't know what, what much left is in the tank in the UFC world for Abi Lawler either. And then the bullet. It took the, to the fourth round. Lauren's tough, but she got the fourth round TK over Lauren Murphy. The story here was the toughness of Lauren. Uh, Valentina is just so next level to everyone besides Nunez. You know, that's the fight I want. Murphy is usually the, the fighter stepping forward, but not against Valentina. She came in. She landed 132 total strikes, 98 significant, had three takedowns, while Lauren had 19 total and 11 significant, less than 20 strikes in four rounds. It's insane, especially someone who's usually the aggressor. While Valentina is now on an eight-fight winning streak, maybe they give her the winner of Alexa Grasso and Joanne Calderwood, or maybe they give her Nunez, but it's just there's a lack of opponents for her, absolutely. Murphy starts a new losing streak, but doesn't move down in the rankings. A rematch against Caitlin Chukagian could be next, or maybe Jennifer Maya makes sense, but we shall see. And then fight of the fucking year, Volkanovski, unanimous decision over Brian Ortega. What a blast of a fight, man. I was literally sitting there post-concert, pretty lit, had some substances in me. One of my friends here, and I was just like, I kept pausing it like, dude, this is fucking insane. Oh my God. I should actually look. Let's see. Saturday. I don't know how long they gave me the fights, but I got to watch that shit back. That's how good it was. I might watch it right after I record this motherfucker. I'm recording this a little later. It's Wednesday night. Uh, usually I record it earlier, but I'm in sales. It's in the month. I have a lot of shit going on. But yeah, that might be my nightcap. Rewatch that shit. Get me fired up. That's how good this was, man. I was loving every second of television. I could not believe it. Some are calling it the best fight of all time. Some are calling it fight of the year. Some are even calling round three one of the best rounds in UFC history. That's the kind of shit we just saw. Volk, I mean, how can you not respect and like the guy? He's a true champion. And he was in deep fucking waters. I mean, deep waters. His quote, I was in, oh, fuck, I'm going to lose the belt deep, right? In the guillotine, was deep in a triangle. You could see the guillotine the way Ortega caught his leg, got um, Volkanovski down. It wasn't a takedown. He, he kicked, caught his leg, and uh, landed on him right into the guillotine. He's a sharp jujitsu guy, and that motherfucker's deep. You could see uh, or Volkanovski trying to put his, his head to chest, and he's just doing this, and he's making, making noises. Ortega's like, I heard him gurgling. And the fucker, the Aussie, got the fuck out of it. I cannot believe it, man. This shit was insane. I did say the only way Ortega could win is if he catches him in a transition in BJJ. He almost did twice. But Volkanovski, man, holy fucking Christ. Um, yeah, I just don't know how you can't root for a guy that's so well-rounded and tough. And he's just a good fucking guy. Uh, Brian shows that he is continuing to level up. I said in the last fight, or in the preview, that I don't think... He wins, but I'm interested to see after his last fight, there was a true level up, how far he's leveling up. Like, what is his ceiling? What is he capable? Is he, I think he's 29. He might be 30, which is not even enter like on the edge of entering your prime and fighting. Yeah, he's 30 years old, February. So pretty young 30. Whew. Yeah, he just keeps leveling up. This is the best Brian we've seen, but... I was a little surprised, honestly, Volkanovski didn't do his kicks more. Maybe that's just a Holloway thing. I'm not sure. But I expected him to keep him at range and just chop the shit out of him and go for the finish. He did land 229 total strikes, and 214 of those were significant. 
versus a hunt Ortega's 108 total and 88 significant, and he had the two takedowns. For Volk, I'd assume the winner of Holloway and Yair will be next. He's even spoken into that. He welcomes that. He thinks it's badass that Holloway is willing to fight Yair and go out and show contention. So, hey, they respect each other, you know? I would probably be the biggest Volkanovsky fan if it wasn't him holding up the title from Holloway. He's my favorite fighter today outside of John Jones, who's, I mean, he's just not very active. So Holloway's the guy. He welcomed Henry Cejudo. He even called out Connor if he wanted that smoke. He wants a money fight. It's like, fuck, if I'm fighting for the title, I've done enough. Give me some fucking money. Get this little fucking midget, triple C, let's give Connor on his way out because he'd smoke them both. I don't know, maybe maybe not Cejudo. Cejudo always surprises me. Who knows? Uh, but he's now on a 20-fight winning streak. Ortega obviously starts a losing streak. I think a fight against Giga Chikadze, who's supposedly a fill-in fight for Yair Holloway in case someone gets hurt. Just slow his ass down, slow his roll, go show him what's up. Or maybe Calvin Cater on his return, who still hasn't fought since some serious injuries in the Holloway fight. I can't say it enough. I can't say it. I got to say it another time. What a fucking fight. That was fun. That was fun. So UFC fight night. What do we got? What do we got in store? It's a pretty nice little fight night card. It was a little bit earlier of a main card. It starts at 4 p.m. Pacific. Not extremely early. Uh, but we start off with the other Shevchenko. Antonina La Pantera Shevchenko. The 36-year-old fighter. 9-3 and record. Taking on Casey King O'Neill. The reason I'm breaking this down, she's only 23, but she's 7-0. They're giving her pretty stiff competition. She's got to be a name worth watching. It's funny that a week after her sister fight, she's fighting. They could probably do training camp together. Antonina last her, lost her last fight, so she looks to get back on the winning streak. Casey, obviously 7-0. Three of those have come in the UFC. And Antonina herself is a southpaw fighter with a background in Muay Thai and kickboxing. She got her UFC contract from winning in the Contender Series. While Casey, she trains out of extreme couture. Lots of badasses at 23. She's a grappler and a striker. I haven't seen her fight that I remember of. You know, sometimes I do. Once I see him in the ring, I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, But I'm interested. She's undefeated. She's getting solid opponents. So, obviously, they're trying to juice her up. And Antonina's, you know, not a slouch. So, it's... It's a pivotal point for both. If she wins this, she can shoot up, get some stiff competition. Antonina, after losing, needs to win this. She is uh, 36 years old, so only so much left. Maybe not. She's a Shevchenko. They, they're different. They're, they're not normal human beings. That's all I got to say. Then we have Joe Selecki, 28-year-old fighter, 11-2 record, taking on Jared the Flash Gordon, 33-year-old fighter with a 17-4 record. Joe's on a six-fight winning streak after getting a contract from the Contender Series as well. He has a black belt in BJJ, and he has a two-and-a-half reach advantage in this fight. Gordon, he's on a two-fight winning streak. He's got a background in wrestling, boxing, and BJJ, and he trains out of Sanford MMA, which is one of the hottest gyms right now. He has a brown belt in BJJ. I would expect Joe to look to take down Gordon. Uh, Gordon's got a lot of raw power and speed, but I think Joe's got enough to be able to get the job done. I was very impressed in his Jim Miller fight, even though Jim Miller, a little older, true veteran, but I think he's got enough to get the job done. I'm going Joe Selecki in this fight, him and Antonina, put him down on the parlay, mark that shit down and let's get that bread. I'm going with Antonina. I've gone back and forth, almost changed my mind, but I'm going with Antonina. 
Uh, Aspen Ladd, 26 years old, 9-1 and one record with the number three next to her name, taking on M- Macy Chiesin, the 31-year-old fighter, 8-1 and one record with the number 11 next to her name. You know, Aspen won her last fight, an amazing fight against Yana, which was a great fight after losing a tough fight to Jermaine Duranami, who's one of the best. She's diverse with a background in boxing, kickboxing, wrestling, and BJJ. She's got a purple belt in BJJ. She's come from Invicta, which is a very well-grooming machine. While Chiasin herself has won two in a row, she's an Ultimate Fighter alum. She's very tough. You know, that's one thing I've always noticed about her. And she has good experience. But I think Aspen is the real deal. She has that natural raw talent that it's not just work ethic. And she's on the up and up. I'm going to take Aspen. Put that in the parlay. That's the most confident one. Let's get that bread. And then we move on. We have Misha Serkinov, the 34-year-old fighter, 15-6 and six record with the number 13 next to his name, versus Christoph Jocko, 32-year-old fighter with a 22-5 and five record. You know, both these fighters are coming off losses. Very pivotal point for both these guys in their careers. Jocko himself has a brown belt in BJJ. Misha trains out of extreme couture with a black belt in BJJ. But I'm going to go with the more experienced Misha. As both fighters have shown their moments, I believe Misha is more well-rounded. And at this point in career, I think he needs to win more. I think he's going to get the job done. You lose this, you're going to fall out the rankings, you're on your way out. Um, unless you're fucking Glover Teixeira. So I'm going to take Misha, put it in the parlay, mark it down, and let's get that bread. Then we have Alex the Cowboy Oliveira, 33-year-old fighter, 22-10-1 record, versus Nico the Hybrid Price, 32-year-old fighter with a 14-6 record. Now both fighters are coming off losses. They need to get that momentum going. Alex is an orthodox fighter with blue belts in BJJ and Muay Thai. Nico has a brown belt in BJJ. He hasn't won since October of 29, but has faced very good competition. I expect Nico to put on a great performance and get back into the rankings in this very stacked welterweight division. So I'm going to take Nico, put him on the parlay, mark it down, and let's get that bread. And then the co-main event, we got Big Mouth back in in action. We have Kevin, the Trailblazer Holland, 28 years old with a 21-7 record and the number 14 next to his name. Versus Kyle Dawkins, uh, 28-year-old fighter with a 10-2 and two record. Much like Antonina, Kyle is fighting a week after his brother Chris. I'm sure these aren't coincidences. They're probably training together. You know, staying on diet together. It's easier when things are done together. You know, Big Mouth has definitely faced better competition. And his weakest point, really, that's ruined you know him on this hot streak, has been his wrestling defense. I know he's been working on it, but I don't believe Kyle is going to be able to take full advantage of that. You know, I'm sure Kevin Holland's improved. I don't think it's improved enough to get to where he wants to be. Uh, But the man's a really good fighter. He's got a second-degree black belt in BJJ. He's a Contender Series alum. Kyle is 1-2 since being in the UFC, and 8 of his 10 wins have come via submission. So this could be interesting. Kyle could pull it off, but I'm going to go with big mouth Kevin Holland. Put him on the parlay. Mark it down, and let's get that bread. And then the main event. And boy, if I could put sirens off, big screen, have someone edit my shit, banger alert. That's exactly what this is, banger alert. Uh, Tiago Maretta Santos, 37-year-old fighter with a 21-9 and record, and the number five next to his name, 
versus Johnny Walker, 29 years old, 17 and 5 record, and the number 10 next to his name. You know, Santos is coming off three losses against straight fucking killers. You could debate outside of John Jones, both of them caught me by surprise. While Walker won his last fight against a very tough Ryan Spann, who we just saw get his ass whooped by Lionheart Smith. Santos, I believe, though, is on his last chance to move up the rankings for title contention. They have him at number five. He still has got a chance. But again, unless you're Glover Teixeira at 37 years old, you take an L here, you're, you're going to be hurting. Uh, Santos has a background in Copiera, Muay Thai, and BJJ. He fights out of American Top Team and has a green rope in Capiera, black belts in BJJ and Muay Thai. And his tough losses come against the GOAT, John Jones, Glover Teixeira, and Alexander Rachik. He's on the up and up, but it's hard to blame those losses. You know, after, it's blame, hard to blame him on those losses after the fact, uh, especially where those fighters are today. But I think this is his last chance to get into that momentum, positive limelight. 15 of his 21 wins are via knockout. This guy's serious knockout power. While Walker, a brown belt in BJJ and a contender series alum, he is a promising prospect itching closer to his prime. He has 15 of his 18 wins via, via knockout himself. But yeah, banger alert. Banger alert. Um, must watch fight. I, you know, this sucks because this is at 4 p.m. I got the Mariners game. You got college football. I got Oklahoma playing that night. The Grizz on ESPN2 that night. What am I going to do? I don't know. I might have to record a bunch of shit. I don't know. But this is a must watch fight. And I don't expect it to go to a full decision. I'm taking Tiago Santos, though. Mark it down. Let's get that bread. And what a fun fight night. I just love fights. I just love fights. Like fights, I like football. The three Fs, fall football fights. Trademark that shit. Uh, up next, we got another Apex fight night. It's an earlier card. Not a 4 p.m., a 1 p.m. main card start. And we got my girl, my wifey, Mackenzie Dern versus Marina Rodriguez. The fight card itself isn't as deep, but that main event must see huge for the title contention in that division. And that's what we got for fights. We're going to wrap up on baseball. Oh boy, are we going to talk some baseball. Headlines around the leagues, a lot of it has to do with injuries, contender shit. I'm not going to talk about all the teams that aren't making the playoffs. Unlike football, which is, you know, kind of ruins baseball in my opinion to a lot of non-baseball fans. Not a lot of teams make the playoffs. It's usually a lot of the same names because they can just spend, spend, spend. I was talking to my friend today. Imagine having a salary cap in baseball. Holy shit, that would be fun. Well, Noah Syndergaard gets a start for the Mets after surgery, which is great news for, for him as he is a free agent. A great news for my Anaheim Angels. We'll call them the Anaheim Angels. Think Hopefully they go out and try to get Thor on the squad as we're in desperate need of uh, ace power pitching. Brandon Bell expected out four weeks. Tough news for the um, NL-leading San Francisco Giants. He has a fractured thumb. And then James Tallion re-injures ankle. Not very good for if, if you're a, a Yankee fan. And Andrew Heaney gets optioned to AAA as James Lusiga comes off the IL for bullpen depth. Hey, at least the Angels got somebody in return for Andrew Heaney. I love Andrew Heaney. We did get him from the Yankees, but just never worked out. In the standings, you know, we're all but done. This is the last week. It's Wednesday night. We're almost done with the week. Uh, the Giants are two games up on the Dodgers. Got an extra game in there after last week. And everyone else is pretty much running away with the division. In the wild card situation, the NL set 
The Cardinals, after that massive winning streak, which I believe came to an end tonight. Let me confirm. The Cardinals... Yep, Brewers beat them 4-0, to so their 17-game winning streak comes to an end. Um, they locked in because of that winning streak in NL Wild Card, and the Dodgers or Giants, whoever loses the division, will get the other one. Uh, in the AL, the Mariners are half a game back coming in tonight, and Toronto a game back. And this is from the Red Sox, as the Yankees have a two-game uh, two game lead. Well, Toronto beats the Yankees in an ace-powered matchup tonight. Garrett Cole... Six innings, five earned, six Ks. That's your one-game one wildcard pitcher. That's a little sketch. While Jose Barrios for the Blue Jays, six innings, three earned, seven Ks. One of his better starts on the season. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Coming down to the wire, uh, the Red Sox beat the Orioles unlike yesterday, which is big. And the Mariners are tied with the A's 0-0 zero zero right now. Uh, this is probably their toughest pitching matchup. They're going against Frankie Montas. He's four innings deep, 55 pitches, and 5Ks. Logan Gilbert, the young prospect for the Mariners, looking good. Four innings pitch, 55 pitches, 4Ks. So that's going to be something to have your eyes glued to. And the Dodgers are beating the Padres again, 5-3 as of now. Last weekend, the Yankees, all sweeps, all the big series sweeps. The Yankees say, screw the Red Sox. We're trying to get them out. They sweep the Red Sox. The Brewers sweep the Mets, even though the Mets are pretty much done. Big for the Brewers. The A's sweep the Astros, just a fun AL West. The A's, you know, pretty much eliminated, but right there. And the Astros definitely losing momentum heading into playoffs. And then the Braves sweeping the Padres. Um, yeah, the Padres. I don't know how everyone just thought they were going to make the playoffs and everything was going to be dandy off after their offseason additions. It doesn't always work like that. I mean, look at the Yankees. They're in the wild card and they have the most stacked roster. I knew the Padres were a year or two away. We'll see what happens in the offseason. Going to be interesting, as I don't think they ever win one with this squad, uh, which is brutal and tough for us Padres fans to take, I know. But, uh, yeah, all the big series last week, clean sweeps. It's Wednesday. What do we got this weekend? Well, we got Rays versus Yankees. Um, that's going to be fun as the Yankees, you know, trying to keep ahead in the playoffs, even though they'll probably lock it in the next day or two. Padres taking on the Giants. You know, what are the Padres? What do they got left in on the Giants trying to keep distance from the Dodgers? The Brewers versus the Dodgers, two divisional leading teams. Who's got the momentum? And stack each other up for playoff purposes. And then the A's and Astros get another shot. Uh, the, the Astros need to gain some momentum. The Mets take on the Braves. This will be a Sunday night baseball hosted series. And just because I'm going Angels Mariners, I was hoping Shohei Otani would start on Sunday. They announced today he won't. Breaks my little heart. Got my cousin, a little Otani jersey, making him an Angels fan. Uh, but I'll be there Friday, Saturday, Sunday in T-Mobile. I'm excited, especially if the Mariners, you know, I don't want them to beat my Angels, but if they get in the playoffs, I got to go. I've never been to a playoff game. It's here. I got I to make it happen. Let's talk about the momentum, though. The divisional leaders, the White Sox, in their last 10 games are 5-5. Five and five. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> the Astros, divisional leader, 5-5. Five and five. They're saying Zach Granke will potentially do bullpen in the postseason, but he's done for the regular season. That's not very promising. Uh, Michael Brantley was activated off the IL this week, probably one of their best players in their lineup. Definitely need him back. And no return for Justin Verlander. It was supposed that he might return at the end of the year, make playoff run. So they're without potentially Granke and Verlander. They're going to need their young guns to step up. And the AL, um, let's just assume it's Yankees-Red Sox. 
We're talking Garrett Cole. We're talking Chris Sell. The fact that it's Yankees Red Sox that have the pitchers make me just want to, you know, Chris Sell his heyday in the White Sox, and obviously Garrett Cole his heyday outside of uh, with Pittsburgh with the Astros. Now the Yankees. Hey, he got lit up today, though. Who knows? But that could be a fun ace matchup. Sell yesterday went 85 pitches with three earned against the Orioles in their loss. So that's not very promising. Um, but he is back. It looks like, you know, he had 85 pitches. He gets a full slate. So we'll see. In the NL, we're talking Cardinals-Dodgers. The very hot, hot Cardinals. Well, with Flaherty coming off the IL and not playing a full slate, not fully back, I would assume it's Adam Wainwright, the old vet who's having an amazing season. When we broke down the Cardinals, we talked about it. Surprising, I'm 40 fucking years old. And he'll be taking on Max fucking Scherzer for the Dodgers. Imagine me as a baseball fan telling you eight years ago, Cole in a wild card for the Yankees, Sell for the Red Sox, Scherzer for the Dodgers. I probably would have cried. That's like all the best names and all the best teams. That's baseball. It's baseball for you. Other things happen in some NBA headlines. The Warriors sign Avery Bradley. They say, fuck you, Isaiah Thomas. Rui Hichimura out indefinitely for personal reasons. Pretty intrigued on what's going on here. Maybe some COVID shit, vaccine shit. Uh, ben Simmons, the piece of shit that he is. His 76ers teammates try to fly to LA to come meet with him, try to talk him into staying. He wouldn't do it. He's shutting the team away. Again, for an NBA franchise, who wants that guy on your team? And who wants to play with him? It makes no sense. Makes no sense. I'm still pissed he got rookie of the year over Donovan Mitchell. Michael Porter Jr., he, he's, he's at the club right now. He got a five-year max extension for $207 million. For a guy that doesn't do any defense, it's a lot of money. So we'll see how that works out for you, Cotton. Um, Clay Thompson back at practice. Steve Kerr says he's looking good. Great fan, great sight if you're a fan of the Warriors. I just like Clay Thompson. He came from the you know Washington State. Got to root for the guy. Hopefully he's healthy. Probably not as exciting of a story for most NBA fans or players, but NBA players who miss games because of the vaccine mandate will not be paid. This is going to be interesting with the Nets, their media day. Kyrie Irving wasn't there because of health and personal issues. Uh, yeah, I mean, I hate that politics has to get in this, but this is about your team. This is about your brothers. You got to figure it out. Uh, but that's pretty brutal, harsh, dead, you know, strict line for the NBA. In boxing, Manny Pacquiao retires. There's rumors of him fighting some people like a Conor McGregor, but he's hanging it up. It's probably for the best at this point. And I do have a non-story story. I talked about the safety movie on Disney, but the I Promise documentary came to YouTube, the full documentary. There was like episodes on Facebook. I never watched them. Definitely touched my heart. You know, as people, business and buckets, whatever I do blows up one day. I'm worldly famous. I have money to do what I want. Instead of just giving it to charities for tax write-offs, making a change and, you know, this is for Cleveland. He's from that area, grew up in Akron. He's went through some shit. He's putting a school together and he helped at-risk youth improve and watching the behind the scenes and everything that's that it's about and that was just really awesome to see, really touching. Uh, we all got to make change. The world we live in, we all got to have peace. We all got to hope. We got to support the local people, the local businesses, and we got to work together. But that's all I got. Episode 47, baby. We out here doing work. We almost got episode 50 coming. 
Uh, we'll be tuning in. I'll have my next business episode with a, a good friend of mine, a rapper for Shadow, real name Shadow Devereaux. We'll be talking about his history growing up on the reservation, getting into the rap game, and where he is today. Can't wait. Make sure to tune in. See you guys next week.